Uh, I was 11 years old when girls' education was banned in Swat Valley, and it was the 15th of January 2009. I woke up that morning. My school wasn't open. My school had been closed down by the Taliban, uh, and uh, girls' education was banned. I'm so excited you're here at the table with me today. My guest today is a good friend and someone I have admired for a very long time, Nobel Peace Prize recipient Malala Yousafzai, who is also co-founder and a board member of the Malala Fund. Malala began her campaign for education at age 11 and at age 15 was attacked by the Taliban for speaking out in support of girls' education. Today, she continues her efforts to see all girls complete 12 years of free, safe, quality education. In our conversation today, you're going to be hearing quite a bit about the importance of girls' education and why it matters so much and how it has been impacted by COVID. We're going to talk about what we can all do to actually transform the reality for girls around the world and the importance of the people around us, hearing their support, building our own confidence, and how we can all become leaders and activists in our own right. I'm also really excited for Malala's perspective on how we continue to be optimistic, especially in years like 2020. So thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy it. This is At the Table with Dr. Ela Murabit. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I am a UN high-level commissioner on health, employment, and economic growth, one of 17 global UN sustainable development goal advocates. I am also a medical doctor and a women's rights champion and strategist. I have traveled the world and met people who are leaders in their own industries, and I've met people who have completely changed the game, from names that we know to names that we don't. There are people who have championed inclusive security more than anything else. So At The Table is really a collection of in-depth conversations and interviews with leaders in all industries. It's looking at how we create systems and structures and communities and selves that really represent what we need in the world today. Now, it's been called At The Table because I think the single most important thing is for us to create and cultivate spaces. And this one is mine where I invite you to connect with and to learn from and to teach one another about the importance of inclusive leadership and making sure that when you are at any table, you are bringing somebody with you, an idea with you, a perspective with you that isn't already there. So thank you again for joining me. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening and for being here. And please let me know, what does being at the table mean to you? And who are you bringing with you? Malala, before we start anything else, how are you feeling today in two words? Well, thank you so much, Allah. I am so excited to talk to you. I am feeling happy and grateful. Uh, and uh, today I am with my parents and uh, I, I am just grateful for this moment that they're here with me and I feel, you know, really blessed. Really blessed. Alhamdulillah. So, do you often, because I know you just graduated from university at Oxford, um, do you often get to spend time with your parents or has this kind of been something that's more recent because of COVID where you've been spending a lot more time with family? So before university, that was three years ago, I was living with my parents and uh, I was going to a girl's school. So I was not exposed to uh, this uh, university life where you see girls and boys your age. And uh, when I went to university, I was just so busy in my university work and essays and just the social life that uh, I oftentimes would not even get time to respond to their uh, messages and their voice messages. And, uh, you know, it's one of those classic students, parents relation that develops. Uh, so I went through it as well. And uh, sometimes they would, they would call me, you know, even, even late in the evening and I would still be up and they would be like, you know, what's wrong with our daughter? And, why is she busy all the time and uh, why but they were happy at the same time that I was uh, living uh, a university student life which is what they wanted mm-hmm. but since I have been back uh, you know home uh, firstly and I, and I got uh, home earlier because of COVID we were sent back a few months before uh, it it has been an amazing time with family because they take care of you and uh, I still haven't learned how to do my laundry and and how to cook for myself so for those things, I am really, really grateful to them that they're there helping us. They just love us and they care for us and they do all these things for us that we take for granted. So they made my time easier in that sense. But again, you know, I have two younger brothers. 
uh, and it was very hard to uh, manage my uh, lessons and classes uh, on on my laptop in my room while the whole family would be walking around and yeah. and knocking on my door and uh, everybody had their own schedule so it's somebody else's call and then everybody's you know we are just shouting at each other yelling at each other to just shut up and keep quiet at least just for one hour uh, and even in my exams like i had to take them from home it was it wasn't easy uh, but you know uh, and and i'm still living with them uh, and uh, again you know it's it we are saving uh, for ourselves and uh, getting all this help that we need and also getting the love of parents and spending time with with them which is such an uh, such a great opportunity and and such a blessing uh, and i and i value it so i'm i'm really happy that i'm with them Oh yeah, no, I can imagine. As someone who um, did not realize how incredible it was to have my mom's presence um, and and love and compassion and definitely cooking when I was younger, um, it's something I I would definitely go back to if I could. Um, Malala, you are one of millions, tens of millions um, of of students who had the academic year cut short because of COVID. And I know that the organization that you co-founded, the Malala Fund, um, heavily focuses on girls education globally. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization and and why you created it and why it's so important? And then beyond that, how COVID has changed maybe the way you look at girls education. So I'll keep it short even though it's a long long story for me, but uh I have been an activist for girls education uh, from a very young age, age 11, but uh you know, when I was attacked at age 15, I realized that I had such an incredible platform where i could speak out for girls all around the world and when i was initially asked by you know a lot of experts around me uh, that what did i want this organization to do and uh, again uh, you know attempting to uh, limit the focus which i did not understand for me it was about all those girls who are out of school in every corner of the world uh, and i would think about myself for a second how I wanted somebody to do something for girls in Swat Valley so I was like we have to care for every girl uh, in, wherever she is she deserves a right to have education she needs to be in school so the mission of Malala Fund is that all girls should have 12 years of free safe and quality education uh, it's not just being in school but it's what they are learning what is the quality of education that they are receiving uh and our focus has been the secondary education of girls because that's when girls drop out the most either because of social norms or early child marriages and other several issues that girls have to face um and malala fund's uh, philosophy is that we work together with local champions and activists uh in in countries where there are the highest number of girls out of school or there's a huge gender gap when it comes to investment in education uh and we are working uh, in pakistan india Afghanistan, Nigeria, Brazil um these are some of the examples and uh, uh and also we are working with with girls and uh working on um you know their um on the on their activism to make them activists uh and i believe that girls can become activists uh, at any age that they want uh i've been through that and i believe that any other girl can do that and we already have examples of girls from greta who are there speaking out uh, age should not stop you so that's another work that malala fund does we do advocacy as well uh and our focus is is on policy changes uh, that happens locally with our activists but i also take part in it in the global activism that we do from platforms uh, such as g7 to g20 speaking out for increase in financing uh, at the global partnership for education at education cannot wait which is focused on refugee children so there are so many issues that we need to touch and malala fund is active in that to ensure that girls are not missed out uh, and that education is a top priority in all these platforms because often time if you do not bring it up and if you do not push for it if you not have that deliberate call these issues get ignored nobody would talk about women nobody would talk about girls nobody would talk about the protection and health of women and girls if these uh, organization activists like you and me you are pushing for things i am pushing for things so that is the advocacy work that we do but why is it important so for for those listening that that don't know why is it important to focus on girls education is there are they disadvantaged when it comes to education is there what what's the unique reason to really focus on girls education of oh, so many like where do i start firstly uh, as a young girl i know i know myself how important education is uh, i was 11 years old when girls education was banned in swat valley 
and it was the 15th of January 2009. I woke up that morning. My school wasn't open. My school had been closed down by the Taliban, uh, and uh, girls' education was banned. And for a second, I could not just think through this that the right to education had been taken away from girls. It not only meant that I would not have access to learning and 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 books and and teaching, but uh, at the same time, that opportunity to have your own dreams and to have your own voice uh, is taken away from you. Uh, and uh, I, I would always wonder, like, you know, does it mean that I also have to become just like all those girls who were forced to get married, who became mothers at young ages and who never got the opportunity to achieve their dream? I saw so many young girls. One of my own friends, um, she was in grade five with me and uh, uh, she wanted to become uh, a doctor and uh, you know that's everybody's dream to become doctor and teacher there and uh, and and she just suddenly disappeared from the classroom and soon we found out that she was was pushed into marriage and she was married and she already had a kid at age 14 uh, you know she had a child when she herself was still a child so that is the first reason i personally connect to it but also, if you do, in, there are so many researches that have been done. Malala Fund has been involved in it. The World Bank, we all have done these researches that shows that uh, investing in girls' education provides protection to them. Uh, it, is, uh, it improves our, uh, our economic growth. Uh, if we invest in the 12 years of quality education of all girls, it would add up to $30 trillion to the world economy. So there's that economic advantage as well. It also provides protection and safety to women when they know about their rights, when they know about you know, what what society needs to provide them. A lot of women and a lot of young girls, like some of them I, I know myself, have accepted this this myth that uh, girls do not have equal voices, that girls, that the way they're treated, this is how it's supposed to be, just because their bodies are different, just because they're women. Uh, so, so investing in girls' education not only has the economic advantages and not just the advantages for, for girls themselves, but it also uh, allows us to improve the society and the community we live in. It reduces the likelihood of wars, helps us to tackle climate change, reduce poverty. So there are so many advantages that come along with investing in girls. And I can go on and on about this. So for, for those who are curious, what is the current disparity? How many girls are out of school today? So currently, there are 130 million girls who are out of school. Uh, and uh, regarding COVID, uh, which you asked earlier, there is a risk that uh, 20 million more girls can drop out of school uh, because based on this, the studies that we have done uh, on the Ebola crisis and how many girls were not able to return to their schools, that, that gives us an estimate that uh, girls, uh, up to 20 million girls may not be able to return to schools either because they would be forced into early marriages or because they would have become the financial supporters of their families uh, and they may not be able to uh, catch up on their school uh, studies that they have missed and, and return. So there's a huge risk. And again, it, it is very difficult for me to, uh, to imagine that the number of 130 million would increase. I do not want to see that. And, uh, and this is the, the, the concept that we, that I was, uh, growing up with, you know, that things will improve and we will make progress and the number should be going down. But now seeing that in this pandemic, all those, all that progress that has been made over the past decades could be lost. So I think it's a reminder for us to change the approach of our work uh, and be more receptive uh, to these changes and ensure that in any such circumstances, girls' education uh, is not missed out and that we prioritize it and take deliberate action to ensure that uh, these girls stay in school uh, and they continue learning. So how do we do that? You know, not all of us belong to an organization like the Malala Fund. Uh, not all of us are educators or work in the space of education. So how do we actively support girls' education around the world? There are so many ways in which you can help uh, in the education sector, uh, like including Malala Fund. These organizations are uh, are responding to these situations. They are ensuring that girls do not miss out on their education currently, which is the priority. We want them to, to still keep learning. And I think there was recently like a studies uh, by the UN, I think UNESCO and UNICEF, which showed that uh, in the developing countries, children are missing out on months of education compared to children in the developed countries. So it's going to be a huge lo loss uh, in learning and knowledge. And uh, we need to ensure that we react uh, quickly and as soon as possible. And uh, in that, Malala Fund has already 
supported grants uh, in in you know many countries including pakistan ethiopia brazil where they are responding to these covid crisis uh, and you know that could be digital learning or uh, doing a, you know uh, uh, empowering girls to become activists and spread the message of education in their communities at this difficult time so there are many ways in which we can still promote and push for education uh, so students do not miss out on on learning and also do not drop out and then uh, again in the coming you know months and, and years we need to ensure that you know children return to school that uh, mm -hmm. we that we do not fo uh, lose focus on this but to everyone i would say that you know continue supporting organizations that are working for girls education uh, it could be uh, you know your donations that can really help them it could be uh, talking about them on social media it could be having a conversation uh, with your family members with your friends uh, and uh, there are you know there are so many options you could participate uh, in you know in 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 pledges and uh, even if you go to malala fund's web, website there are so many options that are available uh, and you know if, especially for teachers uh, you know you can do uh, sessions with your students to bring more awareness on this and uh, so many ways are available and i think it starts with in, uh, with an intention and and when that is there you know we all find a path to act so i'm going to steer the conversation a little bit more personal and I know many of us know your personal story. Many of us know the incredible courage that you have and have always had for girls' education. And, and at a very young age, you were catapulted into a global spotlight. So my first question in this, in this avenue is, how has your own leadership changed over these past eight years? How have, how have you changed as you've really looked at girls' education more globally? that is uh, such a good question for me i was a strong believer in myself and that is something that came from my dad because when i was very little and uh, when i wanted to speak in a gathering of older men when i wanted to speak in any session my father would focus you know on me and he would tell everybody to keep quiet and listen to me and it the the way that your teachers and your elders and your parents uh, empower you it really impacts your vision and your activism and your leadership forever it it starts with them uh, so my teachers and and my dad and everybody was just you know so supportive towards me that i gained that confidence uh, the second thing for me was was the cause that i was fighting for i had a strong belief that i was fighting for truth and i was fighting for the right cause and once you have that faith that you know when you're fighting for truth uh, nothing can stop you and uh, you know everything in nature is with you so that also kept my faith alive and strong and that also helps you in your leadership because there are so many moments when you are you know about to give up and when things are not going uh, in your favor and how, you know what is it that keeps you going it's that faith that you have within within the cause that you are fighting for it's that faith it's that belief that keeps you fighting otherwise you know there are a lot of disappointing things from you know we don't see progress soon we are disappointed with how um, you know leaders are a bit slower in their actions uh, you know sometimes we do not meet you know a lot of nice people and we are like why is this happening why is this the case why is why is everything taking longer uh, so so these disappointments are there but you have to stay true to your cause and you have to stick to it but you know there were moments when uh, i was a bit you know struggling and rethinking about how we work and and what is the what should be the approach of this work and uh, i think after like starting malala fund i have learned so much about uh, the work that i'm doing in in the education sector and even now like because of this covid i have learned so much so this learning does not stop um, and one thing which i keep on pushing myself in is that you know believe in the cause that you are fighting for and stay optimistic and uh, do not give up i know these words are very simple but uh, we also see really harsh realities and uh, it's important that we support ourselves we, uh, we 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 keep ourselves positive and optimistic in this in this fight um, and another thing is that as you know as you grow older there are i remember that younger malala who just believed in everything and i think all of us have been through that stage when we were kids we just thought you know when we grow older we're going to fix the world 
and that's what i used to think i was like maybe i'll become the prime minister of pakistan and i'll fix the country and uh, you know one day when i grow older i will make sure all girls can go to school and i'll and i'll just fix it i don't know how but i'll fix it and when you are reaching that age of like you know 23 or like it, it would depend you know uh, uh, it might vary individually but there is a there is the stage where we start giving up on our mission that uh, and uh, also we lower the bar that we have set initially so for me it's ensuring that i stick to the vision that i have had which is all girls should should have safe and quality education uh, and ensuring that i still believe in that so i mean i keep on reminding myself that you can do this uh, and uh, and do not give up on it because imagine how many people have already given up and i do not want to be one of them because the mission gets lost and um, for me when you yourself give up i think that's when you can call it a failure but as long as you keep on going you know there is you know you will succeed one day so how do you not give up like how do you stay optimistic for me i think it's looking at the progress that has been made so far i remember back in 2015 when this conversation started regarding 12 years of education and secondary education of girls i was shocked to know that in the millennium in the millennial development goals world leaders made commitment to primary education only and i was like but how is this even possible you know back in 2000 they were writing these goals and they were like okay primary education is enough none of these leaders wanted primary education for their own kids i'm sure they send their children to secondary schools and also universities so why is this enough for you know other kids especially in 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 the developing world why is this enough why is primary education enough uh, it is it is important that we keep on investing in primary education but we also have to focus on the secondary education of children uh, and um, this is when malala fund and you know all the activists started working on pushing for 12 years of education and it wasn't easy but you know in the end it became possible and uh, uh, initially you know when i used to talk to you know when i used to talk in gatherings and talk to people i would talk about secondary education and 12 years of education and not many people would would pick that up but right now when there are these conversations happening regarding education everybody talks about 12 years of education everybody talks about secondary education because you know you may not see the response in the change quickly but uh, you know in in a few years and you know within a within a period of time you do see that your activism uh, did have an impact so i you know that's that's what keeps you going mm-hmm. uh, that's what makes you not give up uh, and uh, other than that uh, i am seeing activists all around the world who are fighting for girls education and when you see that you are not alone and there are hundreds uh, and, and thousands of people out there who are fighting for this cause there are young girls who are standing up for their rights to education uh, and at malala funds um, you know platform and, and in the projects that uh, you know that we are doing we are seeing so many amazing girls who are fighting for their right to education who are uh, you know trying to be innovative trying to be creative in in finding solutions for these issues that they're facing they're not just they just don't want to highlight the issues they also want to to say that this is how you solve it uh, and they're acting themselves they're asking the leaders and uh, how to act so uh, again you know there is there is hope uh, and and when i see these young girls who are not giving up in these difficult times that keeps me going i'm saying like if this young girl you know for instance uh, i met many syrian refugee girls in in lebanon when i see them and see that they're not giving up after sacrificing so much in their lives they see their homes being lost from them they see their cities being destroyed in front of their eyes they're living in a new country where they do not even feel like they belong there and they do not know when they would return to their homes again but they still fight for education they know that education is important for them uh, and to have a safe future uh for themselves and for their country and when i meet young girls in you know in in iraq uh who flee early child marriages uh and who still fight for education and uh, even despite you know getting personally attacked and despite becoming internally displaced uh they they have faith in the cause and uh, and, and they keep learning so it's that sense of small wins community yes. this this kind of collective effort that really inspires you and keeps motivating you. So what has challenged you personally? What's challenged you these past 8 years? Um for me I think uh sometimes like time passes by quickly 
and before you know it it has been many years and it does remind you of you know like how many more years is this, is is this going to take so especially in this covid time uh, i have been thinking a lot about you know what else could we do to accelerate the work on girls education uh, you know how many more girls have to be forced to get married how many more girls uh, will be losing out their education will be losing out their future dreams before we make it possible for all girls to have access to education so for me it's like you know how many girls lost their education today how many more girls will be losing their education tomorrow so i think um, again but also understanding the complexity of this work and how um, you know so much needs to be done and uh, from policy level changes to changing social norms to you know working on the infrastructure and facilities that girls require um, and you know working on changing ideologies regarding education for women there's just so much that needs to be done and again you know we are learning uh, and uh, but but for me it's, it's if you work with local communities if you work with the experts that really helps you uh, and guides you uh, in in doing the right thing so i believe in that i think if it's when it's a collective activism i have i have full faith in it so malala i have had the pleasure of um firsthand seeing your dad spotlight on you in every room and i when when you said that i couldn't imagine um a more true picture it doesn't matter who's in the room he's always turning to you and he's always saying malala what do you think what are your thoughts and not every girl not every boy grows up with parents that mm-hmm. you know really amplify and support them and their agency. So for for those out there who don't necessarily have that same support system at home, how do they gain confidence? Um, I would say that the role of uh, parents, the role of especially men, you know, your dad, your brother, your male uh, family members is is very important. Uh, And uh, the faith of my father in my voice uh, really helped me to believe in myself and uh, he was a feminist before he even knew the word feminist that's what he says uh, that it's it's not only words and it's not only verbal commitment that men need to make but it's also uh, the actions that they need to take uh, actions are very important from from men you know a lot of them are standing there saying that they're feminists and engaging in activism outside their homes but when it comes to their own house they are not taking the feminist actions that they're asking other men to take, right? They are not allowing their sisters to have education. They're not allowing them to do jobs. They are commenting about their dresses and what they're wearing and what job they're doing or not. And, you know, a a lot of young women have seen that and we cannot deny this, that this is true. So it's important that that men start changing themselves, that they, uh, you know, when they talk about feminism and activism for women rights, they start from themselves. You know, it starts from home. And even for me, when I when I talk about education for girls and women's rights and empowerment, I, I do think that is this actually happening in my own house or not? What about my brothers? What about my dad? And uh, for me, you know, whenever I notice my brothers say anything that, you know, sounds a bit sexist or, you know, they're like, yeah, girls cannot do this. I'm like, you know, you cannot say that. Girls can do this. And like, why are you judging girls? You know, why are you making a general statement? Um, and you know is is strength all about physical power you know uh, so there are there are so in these di- discussions and conversations are important in the house so i think for men uh, i would say start from yourself you have a you have an important role to play uh, within your family and outside and when we talk about the issues of equality and women empowerment you know your role cannot be ignored because that's where the issue lies so uh, men have to become active feminists and uh, women again need to ensure that men do participate and uh, women need to support each other and and, and continue uh, speaking out for themselves and their rights. What's your relationship like with your brothers? How old are they? So I have two younger brothers. Uh, one is 20 and the youngest one is 16. And I, because the the, the older one is, is very close to my age, so we have lived together for a long time now and uh, we have fought throughout our life. 
I remember, you know, since I know him, we have been fighting with each other. Initially, it was very like, you know, brutal fights, brothers pulling each other's hair and throwing TV remotes at each other. And like how he would play one TV channel, I would want to see a TV drama. And uh, it was always a fight. And uh, uh, but also we had happy moments and we would, you know, still laugh, uh, you know, in uh, in the end. And uh, but he but even now, like, you know, he keeps teasing me and he uh, he's very annoying for sure, but uh, we do, you know, we we are nice to each other in the end, and uh, we we help each other. Uh, he is currently in university. He is studying um, philosophy, theology, some degree in London, and uh, uh, the little one he is still doing his A levels, and uh, I think the little one is he's nice to everyone but at the same time like he's nice to when he wants to go out with his friends and uh, when he wants to buy a new you know games device he this new playstation or something is out and he's like you know by the way there's this ps4 or 5 or 6 so i don't know whichever and like he needs he needs something that's why he's nice to everyone but other than that you know he lives he he has sort of his own bubble, which is you know very true with all these you know young teenage boys. Uh, but I think it's he has entered that phase. He will get out of it sooner. We hope, fingers crossed. But yeah, but in the end, you know they they're all nice and supportive, and uh, uh, I really am proud that they uh, that they understand the cause that I'm fighting for, and they understand what their role is in this, and uh, they listen to me. They and. Uh, I ensure that they are obedient to their older sister. The older sister is the boss and they have to listen to her. There's no way out. I love how much that reminds me of my own younger siblings. Well, they only, they are only nice to you when they really want something. I know. (laughs) It's it's a universal truth. So, you know, you've, you've been on this global stage for this many years and there are so many young women around the world, young girls and boys who look at you and say, I want to do what Malala does. I want to, you know, I want to change the world. I want to, I want to talk to presidents and change international laws. I want to make sure a lot of money goes to girls education or to climate change or to an issue they care about. And, and you mentioned earlier that you think every person has it in them to be an activist regardless of age. So how do they tap into that inner activist? Aside from really truly believing in the cause, what are some practical things that young people can do? Um, so here are a few tips that I would give regarding, uh, you know, young uh, girls and boys, boys' activism. Uh, firstly, uh, know the cause that you are fighting for, uh, understand it, understand your mission. And because when you are sitting in that room, uh, all these people are much, much older than you. But when you tell them that you know it all, it really shocks them. And I remember like, you know, many times I'd be in a room and I would mention something that, you know, talking to one prime minister, um, and it was actually true. I, I mentioned that, you know, that they need to increase the percentage of their D, uh, of their GDP spending on education, you know, from this percent to this percent. And uh, their response was like, but you know, uh, uh, wow, like, you know, quite a lot, but uh, we don't have enough money and we are a developing country. And I said, well, that's not actually true because we do have money, but it's, it's the question is where the money goes. And the money is actually there, but it goes to other, uh, other sectors where the money is not very much needed. It doesn't give any benefit to people's welfare. We need to allocate or reallocate the money towards education, towards health and towards the welfare of people. So once and then he was like wow you know so much and like um, you know we will we will uh, we will try our best it's you know it's sort of just one example but when you so again know the cause that you're fighting for secondly um, you know be consistent and uh, and stick to it you do not see response that quickly uh, you know i i've been doing this activism for 10 11 12 how many years now and uh, I, I, you know, now people think that I have this stage and I'm speaking out globally. And even even then I have, uh, there are so many obstacles on the way. And uh, and it's not that I meet somebody and everyone listens to me and acts. That is not true. There's a lot of activism required in this um, to to change policies. Uh, but, you know, there was, a, there was a long, long time when people did not even know my name when I was doing this activism. Uh, but it's you know talking to people around you, talking to your community leaders, talking to your local TV channels, talking to your national televisions. And right now we also have the tool of social media using that. Uh, so um, 
all these things uh, collectively contribute to the cause that you are fighting for. You may not see the results quickly, but you know, be 100% sure that you will at some point very soon if you stick to your cause and if you remain consistent. Uh, and, uh, and when you're talking to leaders or anyone, just don't be afraid. Don't be nervous or anything. Don't care about how you look. Don't care about, you know, if you are mispronouncing something or if you, uh, if your speech is not as good as, you know, you think, or you, you know, you want it to be, that does not matter. As long as your message is there, as long as it reflects, you know, your, your dream for a better world, you know, that's all you need. Um, and, um, as long as you speak the truth, there's nothing else to be afraid of. So just be confident in the cause that you are fighting for. So for you, I mean, you, you have been doing this work since you were 11 years old. You've been doing it on a much more global scale since you were 15. Uh, what's next? What's next for Malal? You're done university. What are you going to do now? I think still, you know, fighting for girls' education, that is not done yet. And as I mentioned, 130 million girls are out of school. 20 more million more girls are at risk of losing out their education because of this pandemic. I am, I am more worried than I was before. Uh, I think there are more challenges. Uh, the world politics are changing. There is, uh, you know, political leaders are becoming more stingy in their investment in, in education. Uh, in a lot of these, you know, conferences and gatherings that are happening, they do not even mention like, you know, women and girls and, and their protection and health. And, um, you know, you are in, in those gatherings as well. And, and I'm sure you know this, uh, that there's so much work that needs to be done. And, and I would love to hear from you as well. You know, what is the way ahead uh, right now? Would you change anything in your activism or in your work approach? I would. I would. I think so. Mm -hmm. um, I, I worry that... Yeah, I worry that unless we start centering conversations around what's happening in the world a bit more. So right now, COVID is really yeah. prominent in everyone's mind. But I, but I think for the next five or 10 years, governments are really going to be looking at health differently. Um, and, I, yeah. and I wonder if we can leverage that more effectively. Um, to show the connections between yeah. health and women's rights and why, you know, things like women's reproductive rights are so integral um, and, and why girls' education is so critically important. Um, because my, my, my biggest worry is, and, and we're seeing it with women's rights, I mean, we've reversed the clock back to 1978 um, and, and we've mm -hmm. lost decades of progress on women's rights. So I, I do think that we might need to look at because there are there are financial realities for a lot of countries that are going to come into play post COVID. A lot of companies, um, and and there's also just the psychological impact of of a health pandemic and recognizing that there can be another one. So I definitely think there's things. I agree with you. Consistency is key. Um, really knowing your stuff is so critical. But I also think half of the impact of effective advocacy, or most of the impact of effective advocacy. Um, isn't always just the, the, the messenger or, or how you say it, yeah. but it's how it reflects on, on their priorities as well, which is something I think the Malala Fund does exceptionally well, um, is really centering that conversation in, in national priorities for who you're talking to. But I realize you tried to like duck away from my question because my question was about you personally. <laughs> what do you personally, is Malala yeah. going to go on to... Um, you know, run for prime minister? Is she going to head up her organization? What's, what's your short-term, long-term vision? What's the plan for you? So I have definitely taken a gap year from my studies and uh, I was considering to do master's in education, international education policy. Um, I have paused that for a bit because I do want a campus experience and it's not possible in this, uh, you know, in this COVID time. So I'm just thinking when is when is the right time to apply for that? Uh, along with that, I want to get more involved in the in the Malala Fund work and, and the education activism work in general as well. Uh, learn from uh, people, mentors, education activists. Learn from you and learn from other amazing people, and uh, and and you know, like keep on working for this cause of education. Uh, other than that, regarding politics, uh, again, you know, it's. Like in Pakistan, the minimum age to become the prime minister is 35 years old. Uh, I know like it's, it's sooner than it was when I was 16, <laughs> but there's still a bit of time left. Uh, but, you know, I would only consider it if I can actually 
bring change. I would not consider it if I cannot. In looking at politics right now, uh, especially in Pakistan, it 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 is it is a bit disappointing. You do not see leaders doing anything, and it's so complicated. So I feel like I, I my focus will be finding ways in which we can bring change uh, outside, becoming part of politics, but having an influence on politics, having an influence on on policy, uh, you know, makers and making and uh, Again, like you can be sort of involved in it, but not actively become like you know a prime minister or, or a or, or a minister or something. So there are alternative ways to to work on that. But the mission is that you know all girls should be in school, and that's something that uh, I will continue uh, fighting for. I think that's awesome. From any position you're in, in in any space, um, that's the underlying goal. So we ask this question to every guest who comes to at the table, um, and. And I, I always start by saying, what does at the table, being at the table, mean to you? Being at the table, uh, for me, when, when I hear this phrase, it reminds me of the tables where decisions are made about women, about girls, about the future generation, about our lives, yes, basically each and everyone's lives. And uh, I have been very much involved in advocacy for education in policy level changes and i do know that you know there are rooms where these leaders are sitting uh, at a table and they're mostly men and mostly white and they're making decisions about the future of young girls and at that table they're making decisions where they're ignoring the issues of girls where they're ignoring the issues of women uh, they do not even have the voices of women present there uh, and they do not even have young girls present there. So for me, uh, you know, it is about ensuring that we have inclusivity in those, in those rooms, ensuring that we have the voices of these young girls, women, uh, and young people present there. So, you know, that's what comes to my mind. And uh, yeah. So in, in, the, in honor of being at the table and being as inclusive as possible and really centering um, the voices we're talking about most, we do have 17-year-old education activist Jenna Amin here. Um, and Jenna has, for a very long time, um, really followed your work and, and I think aspired um, to do as much as she can on education locally. So Jenna, I'm going to turn the mic over to you uh, and give you a chance to ask Malala a couple of questions. Yeah, definitely. So Malala, I'd love to know what was kind of the biggest adjustment you had to make to becoming a leader that felt confident in being in some of these spaces that have traditionally excluded women and girls? Uh, well, thank you so much, um, Jenna. And, uh, you know, I, I love the activism that you are doing. And, you know, young girls like you are very much needed right now who, who have to become part of the change that they want to see. Uh, regarding the activism work that I do, for me, the 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 learning was not to the the learning was not that I should change, but rather that I should not change. I was sticking to where I was coming from, who I was, uh, and uh, there were so many things that reflected who I was. For instance, wearing a headscarf and wearing my traditional clothes, and uh, and you know, not working too much on my accent, and you know, it, it just if it changes, it changes itself. And uh, again, like I did not feel like I had to become sort of too Western or whatever we call it. So uh, that you know, again, and and we all have so much in common, but there are things that you know, uh, sort of differentiate us depending on where we come from, depending on what is our culture, what is our religion. So I ensure that I do not change much in where I come from. And uh, I remain as a Pashtun, Pakistani, Muslim girl uh, who wants to ensure that all girls can go to school. Thank you for that. As a young Muslim woman myself who's from Egypt, yeah. um, I definitely know what it feels like to be in spaces where you really need to be cognizant of staying true to who you are. So my final question for you is how do you um, kind of encourage girls around the world to be confident in who they are and stick to um, their values, even when they're in those spaces, like you were saying? Uh, to be honest, girls are already very confident. Uh, I am, you know, I am so happy to see young 
women just like you young girls who are taking part in social issues who are you know running and and, and protesting for uh, you know against climate change and they are out on the streets fighting for the protection and safety of women and girls and it it just makes me happy like i cannot explain and express how happy i feel when i see that young girls are standing up on the streets on the roads uh, asking for for change uh, and uh, even just in general with the younger generations they are more aware of the social issues and causes and uh, they understand much more than the than the older ones and they probably they have to teach a lot to the older generation uh, so you know my message is that stick to your cause um, you know believe in yourself and continue fighting for it i am more inspired uh, with all these young girls if sometimes I, I you know i i'm told to visit young girls and talk to them so i can inspire them but you know the opposite happens i go there to this room and i hear these inspiring stories and it inspires me uh, to continue fighting for girls education I, I do not have sort of those magic words which can which i can give to everyone and everyone's life will change but i will say that you know have faith in yourself and uh, the world needs you and you can make this world a better place for yourself and for everyone else so continue fighting for that thank you for those answers thank you so much thank you you know i think um i think jenna th- those are such incredible questions and and malala i know you you learn so much when you go and see those young girls but i think your presence alone i think having a role model that that really embodies being unapologetically herself and um and is proud of where she's come from and who she is 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 so motivating because i remember when when we were younger we didn't really have those international um role models we didn't really see a lot of women who who looked like us and i think i think and and i i have to ask you this question um because i i for most of us that one or those one or two people when we were growing up have really shaped our worldview. So do you have somebody who was your role model younger who's really shaped your worldview? There, there are, you know, many political figures and uh, that, you know, I had heard of or, that, or, or I had seen on TV screens or in books. Uh, one of them is Bata Khan, who is this Pashtun leader. And he's known as the, uh, as the Gandhi of Pashtuns, and he was the supporter of nonviolence, and uh, he uh, fought for the independence of this region. And uh, you know, his his message still amplifies and echoes in that whole uh, region of 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 Pashtuns, uh, reminding us that we need to uh, continue our activism for peace, continue our activism for our rights, uh, but through nonviolent and peaceful ways. Uh, he was, you know, he was uh, he was an activist for peace. And uh, Benazir Bhutto, who was the first female, and also I think the first Muslim woman prime minister in the whole Muslim world, uh, and you know I, I remember her in uh, you know in till I was age ten, you know we we used to see her on television screens, and to know that a woman had already become a prime minister was such a huge inspiration to all of us, because there were so many people who would often say that. You know, woman is not woman cannot be a leader, and sometimes they just use some Islamic sort of you know so-called Islamic arguments. And I'm like, no, I disagree with you, uh, and uh, you are making everything up. And uh, you know, Islam allows women to become leaders, and and uh, and you know, business women. And Hazrat Khadija, Rizalat Alaanha was you know is is one example who was the first wife of the Prophet. Uh, she was you know she was a, a business woman, and we have so many other examples. You know, they have been fighters. They have been fighting there, they have been leading armies. And uh, um, so, um, so Benazir Bhutto was, was my role model because she was already changing history and making history. Um, and there were also other uh, you know, figures that inspired me from Martin Luther King to Nelson Mandela who were uh, fighting for equality and uh, to know that there have been these amazing people who have changed the world gave me hope that I can do too, and many other young girls can do it too. You know, I think it's it's so incredibly powerful. Um, I hear you 110% on Benazir Bhutto. And <laughs> I remember one of the first conversations we ever had when we met was about how people misuse and manipulate religion to exclude women from yes. leadership. And, um, you know, even girls' education to say girls shouldn't be educated. Religion is often one of the biggest excuses. What do you say to those people, you know, we're both Muslim, 
uh, we've heard it, we've heard it within yeah. our own community. Um, what do you say to them when it, specifically when it comes to girls' education and women's leadership? Aside from giving kind of historical examples, what's really been able to make them understand? I think uh, it's important to remind people that Islam encourages and pushes us to uh, continue learning and, and to, to get education. You know, it says that education is, is your duty and responsibility. Uh, if you are a man or a woman, uh, the first word of Quran is Ikra, which means read. And, uh, you know, there are so many messages in, in Quran and Hadith that keep on pushing people that they need to learn, they need to explore the world, they need to gain knowledge. And, uh, and uh, so I think, you know, when that message is there in Quran, it's both for men and women. And uh, we need to, uh, you know, recognize and, and respect the script and, and respect uh, those words. Uh, but also, um, you know, we have amazing Muslim women who have done incredible work and uh, who have proven that women are capable of doing anything. So again, if they need a proof, you know, to show that women, if women are capable of or not, we have done that, you know, women have become whatever they wanted from politicians, leaders, astronauts, engineers, scientists, like everything. So again, you know, it, it's the messages there in, in our religion. There have, we have examples as well, like what else do we need to do? So my message is that, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure there are many parents who, uh, you know, who have daughters, who have sisters and, uh, and, you know, it's important for them to know that, you know, Islam does not permit any discrimination against against women, against their daughters, against their sisters, they need to be treated equally, uh, you know, using our own sort of conscious and our own um, common sense, we can tell if, if we can tell it's unfair, you know, Allah will recognize it too, that it is unfair. So uh, we all we were also given our own conscious, we need to use that too. Uh, and and to even to our own eyes, you know, it is completely unfair that a girl is discriminated based on her gender. No, I think that's such an important um, message for, for so many parents to hear, for so many families to hear, for so many individuals to hear, um, because it's often one of the discussions I get into most is, is how do we talk to families that inherently believe um, that God does not think their girls should go to school or that their the women in their lives should, um, you know, become politicians or, and I, and I always have, uh, you know, I I always really center my response in the history of Islam and in the reality that women um, were, you know, in, in Islam, at least women were the ones who transmitted the vast majority of hadiths. They're the ones who um, kept the Quran, which is the holy book um, in safety and security. They, they went into, they protected the prophet in, in war. They funded the Islamic, um, the, the growth of the Islamic community. So, you know, I, I think our history in and of itself, but but I'm very grateful that now in our present, so many young Muslim women are doing incredible things um, because it's just a, a continued kind of example of how powerful um, how powerful women are, but but also how powerful it is to to have faith that you're doing the right things. So, Malala, my last question for you is: if you had to bring any one thing that's had a significant impact on you, it can be a book, an idea, a quote, a person, a film, anything. To this community and to, to share it with us what would it be to be honest so many things um i think it's important that uh, we you know we we read books we listen to people we learn from them learning is, is such a you know such an important opportunity and there are so many things you know that i have learned from people that you know are, are not even known that you know are not famous and and i uh, and I may never meet them again, but their words always remain with me. And uh, the most important to me were my were my teachers, especially from primary school. They are like your your parents, and their words always stick to you. They were like, you know, one of my my teachers, Miss Ulfat, She would say just simple, encouraging words, and uh, she would give me these you know lessons that you know you should never tell a lie. You should always be truthful, and you should be kind to people. And they, those words just stick in your heart and you can never remove them. So I always am grateful to all my teachers and my elders and everyone around me who are my mentors for ensuring that, uh, that I have values uh, of humanity and uh, values of kindness and, and truthfulness. 
within me and you know my father has a role in it my mother and everyone around me uh, and i think we need to keep spreading that yes there's a lot we can learn from books and i have there are so many amazing books currently i'm reading reading like 50 words for rain and uh, by uh, asha uh, lemmy and it's, it's you know it's it's an amazing book which which was you know uh, one of the best sellers in in the last month and uh, she is uh, you know a black writer and she started working on this book when she was only 16 uh and uh, this is our first book and it's already like a new york times best seller and uh, again white teeth and uh, uh you know the alchemist is my all time favorite but i think books depend on like what they mean to you personally mm-hmm. and there are so many books that i might like but somebody else may, may never like uh, so but for me it's it's just the words of wisdom that you hear from uh your elders from your teachers from people around you i think always value that uh, and always keep that with you um and uh, yeah and and it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be an older person could be younger as well you learn so much from kids they're you know they're so pure and truthful they will tell you you know the most amazing thing ever and you'll be like wow i never thought about it this way um and uh, even like there was there's this young boy and he's you know one of our uh, one of our family friends and uh, you know he he came to our house and uh, they live sort of in a smaller house because uh, you know they are financially uh, you know they they have you know a lot on their shoulders so the boy was asking my mom they're like you know we both have houses and uh, why is it that everything that is in our house is in your house but everything that is in your house is not in our house and he's only 5 years old and it is such a good question that reminding us that we all do not have access to the same resources resources are not allocated equally and there are many resources that are the basic necessities that are not given to people from water to food to to shelter to electricity to warmth like all these things uh and so again you know listen to kids learn from them just because they're younger and you know sort of they are not as educated uh, doesn't mean that they don't know often time they have that wisdom in their you know in their head uh and you learn so much from them again so much needs to be done so much needs to happen and uh, we need to stick to our commitment to make this world a better place for each and every one we we have made progress though like you know like there 100 years ago w- women could not vote and uh, uh racial inequality was uh, clearly visible to our eyes you know people were segregated and people were separated based on their skin color and we cannot imagine that now for a second yes there is still inequality and there is still racial discrimination and gender discrimination but uh, and we are not there at at our dream place yet but again we have made progress and it should give us the i i the progress should not be used as an excuse to stop but the progress should be our inspiration to believe that what we do next will also mm-hmm. have an impact and we will see change so that's how i look at progress and uh, you know in uh, i hope sooner but at least in like you know the coming 10 20 30 years i do hope that we speak again you know both you and me do another podcast and talk about all the achievements we have made and there are so many things which me might find so funny then we're like you know how was it even possible that this was happening and that you know you were not paid equally just because you are a woman or you were discriminated because of your skin color and all these things i hope it's just like an unimaginable thing uh, in in those years uh and uh inshallah yes inshallah from from your mouth to 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 god inshallah i mean i i hope that in our lifetime we see significant changes in in the way people are treated in um gender and racial discrimination uh, you know in girls education um but i'm i'm grateful for those those gems you've left us with because it's first and foremost listen to the values and words of wisdom from those closest to you your teachers your family um even kids and and recognize that that the playing field isn't necessarily equal and yeah. it's our responsibility uh to to make it so so thank you so much malala for joining us at the table it has been an honor to have you and i do hope um not in 10 or 20 or 30 years i hope sooner we're back here talking about all of the achievements and and all of the incredible things that have happened for girls education and for everything else and thank you so much for all the work that you do alai as well and you have been also an amazing board member of malala fund and thank you so much for your contribution towards girls education uh and just my personal friend and mentor thank you for all your help 
and uh, and I just love this conversation. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for all that you do. Thank you. The feeling is very mutual. Thank you so much. Amplify our important message by leaving a review or subscribing. Collaborate with us to encourage more people to shout for change. And be on the lookout. We have more episodes coming soon, and I can't wait to share them with you. From At The Table, I'm Dr. Lamb Thank you for joining us.